Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Pure Victory Podcast. Matt and Braden here, and we have an awesome couple with us today, Clinton and Charity Munoz. And they have a great story of overcoming infidelity. This is a huge problem, especially in the area of pornography and and sexual uh, immorality, 40% of marriages that go through infidelity, they end in divorce and a whole lot more than that, carry hurt and pain within the rest of their lives. And so Clinton and Charity have an incredible story of overcoming. They've started a ministry called Restore to More, working with couples on how to establish intimacy after betrayal. And so guys, thanks for being here with us. We're pumped to hear your story today. Thank you for having us. We feel blessed to be on the show. Yeah, we're pumped. So glad to be here. And Oh man, yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing all that. Thanks for all that you guys do for sure. And I, I may mean, whip out a A just to fit yeah. in with you guys. <laughs> oh, oh like you it. had to get that shot in, hey? From down in the OC, down <laughs> in the OC. I love it. I love it. Well, guys, you got uh, three boys who were under three. Now I know they're one, two, and four. But busy household, you take time to do this ministry. Why is it so important for you guys to get your word out there about intimacy after betrayal? Where did where did you come from to this point? Mm, such a great question. You know, for us, I feel like we just want to be um, a couple for other couples um, to bridge the gap of safety because uh, we we lacked that in our story. Uh, we really lacked um, feeling like we could go to somebody and ask them questions about what was normal, what was not normal. Because um, everything in your life, the circumstance is already so abnormal. And um, if somebody could just normalize the abnormal, then uh, that we would just, we would have been so grateful for that. There are so many trial and errors 
that Clinton and I went through, me thinking that I should be his accountability partner, me um, lacking the understanding of, you know, in the Bible, there is teachings on, you know, how to be a submissive wife and to be respectful and loving, but there is no written rule in the Bible. Like, Hey, after your husband cheats, you know, there's permission to have divorce, but it's like, okay, but what if you don't choose divorce and you stay in the relationship? What does my role look like now? What does it look like to be supportive yet at the same time also know that I'm hurting? You know, forgiveness takes on a completely different role um, when you go through a situation of infidelity. And there was just, I wish we kind of would have had a playbook to say like, hey, yeah. you know, this is what you're probably going to be going through. This is what to expect because um, it's one thing to start overcoming and choosing sobriety and freedom. Yeah, it's a whole other ball game um, when you start actually applying it and being in the game. And for Clinton and I, there were so many things that we just lacked understanding of. And he, you know, it, he was trying to understand his addiction, yet at the same time understanding what how it affected me. And so learning how we can both come alongside of each other, learning how he can develop empathy for my situation and start um, implementing safety back into our relationship. And then for me, you know, me understanding to how to have compassion for his addiction and where it stemmed from and the roots that it went into. And I mean, there's so many, I feel like we could go on and on, but there were so many trial and errors that I've, I believe, um, I wish we could have avoided if we had another safe couple that we could have ran to and, and just asked them like, Hey, what, what can we expect now that we are choosing to stay married? What is this journey going to look like? And so we just want to bridge that gap for other couples to be that safe couple that they can come to and, um, and just point to, and, um, and hopefully we could just educate them, bless them, relate to them. Yeah. Really well said charity. And to just give the listener a little bit more background about what you're saying, because I mean, we could go many different angles of what you're talking about there. And I think they're all important angles that we could, we could talk about. Why is it important for you guys in what you're doing to, to talk about these things? What, what about your story? Um, you, you alluded to a little bit about it, but what what kind of led you to the point where you're doing what you're doing and sharing what you're sharing, specifically about you know finding out how to have a, a couple though to be in your corner, um, what it looks like to be dealing with um, you know dealing with accountability, sobriety, all these different angles. Break that down of a little of your background of of you know why you are where you are right now. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, so um, I developed a pornography addiction. At a really young age, I was first shown porn at 11, and it progressed into my teen years um, to becoming an addiction that I used um, to cope with pretty much everything. And I brought that into my marriage, and I didn't tell Charity the whole truth. I had told her about a previous struggle with pornography, um, but the I hadn't, and I had told her that pornography had led to me doing things sexually with people that I had never really intended on doing. Um, and part of that was actually losing my virginity to a prostitute on a mission trip in another country. And, uh, and so there was a, there was sadness there, but I never had told her the truth that I was still struggling with pornography. And I think what we, what we don't realize is how much pornography impacts the world of infidelity. And so, um, as somebody who was still struggling when I got married, it led to more of those actions and more things that were damaging to our relationship to the point where charity had found out not only the use of pornography, but also the use of massage parlors and strip clubs and acting out the fantasy world. And, it almost led to us getting divorced. And so she drew a, a hard line and said, if you don't change, I'm leaving. And, um, and what that led to was, was the desire and the, the willingness to change and go through programs and get the help that I needed. And what, what Cherry was alluding to was that during that journey of two people that are saying, I want to stick this out, I don't want to call it quits. You know, 
um, pornography use is showing up now on 50% of divorce papers. It increases the infidelity rate by 300% in, in a relationship. And so, and that, and, and then infidelity leads to divorce. So for us, those are our reasons that we don't think this has to be the end of a relationship. We don't want relationships and marriages, especially Christian marriages specifically is our lane to be dissolved because the wife finds out that he is using pornography and we would love to help them navigate that so they can come together um, and not, and not dissolve a relationship. Clinton, that's a big burden for you to carry in your marriage where there's massage parlors, there's pornography, but also there's just lies apart from just the sexual acts. There's, there's lies that you're keeping secrets that you're keeping. So before charity found out, what was it like for you to carry those burdens knowing that your wife had no idea? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question, Matt. It's pretty gnarly, pretty gnarly to live a dual life. You know, it was, pretty wild to think that I, I absolutely loved Jesus. I wanted to serve him. I would be in church every Sunday and I just consistently felt that God was saying, I've called you to do great things with your life. Um, and I, I, I just felt that. And at the same time, there was such a unworthiness, you know, really for me, it birthed out of the beliefs that I was inadequate, that I wasn't enough, um, that I wasn't loved. I was only accepted if I performed well. So the burden was just consistently overwhelming. I mean, to think that it, it, it's the equivalent to a criminal who thinks that somebody's always going to catch him, you know? So whenever she grabbed my phone, my heart beaded out of my chest thinking, Oh my gosh, is she going to find, did I delete all of the history in the browsers? You know, did I, did she go on the computer? Did she see the pornography? You know, is she going to find out? I mean, it was just consistent anxiety since we were even, even before we got married in the relationship, I was still doing things um, during our courting season. And it was just like, just, you're always anxious. You're always hoping she doesn't find out. You want to tell her so bad. You so bad want to open up, but you think, oh, she'll leave. I'll lose everything. Um, I'll lose the one person that loves me in my life for, for who I am. But then there's also that belief that she doesn't even know who you are, man. Like she knows you only let her know what she really, what you want her to know. So it's a, it's a, a burden is a good way to put it. And I don't even know if that fully grabs the, the gravity of the situation for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I know Clinton, I totally can echo that because that's part of my story. And I felt that same burden of being caught and performing to feel like you're accepted when you're doing well. And I totally get that. Um, now, the other end of the story, the other end of the coin, though, for you, Charity, what was going on for you? Because you didn't know your husband was wrestling with this to this degree. But what did you notice? And what, did, what were you feeling when you started to uncover some of these truths? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was really good at, um, unfortunately really good at compartmentalization and, um, lying. And so in the beginning, I just believed him, you know, but it really hurt me because, um, some things that were happening before discovery was Clinton would have really bad night tears. And he would wake up in the middle of the night and like freak out and he would be crying and then he wouldn't be able to go back to sleep. And some nights, I mean, the presence of the spiritual battle was so bad that I remember like he just was like just laying there. And I remember like having to pray over him multiple times. And so I knew something deep was going on. I just couldn't put my finger on it because he wasn't being truthful what was which with what was going on. So my head would continually just be like trying to play out different scenarios. Like what is going on? Like, I know that, you know, he said that porn was an issue, but I never once in my million dreams, like I didn't, honestly, I didn't even know that 
massage parlors and those types of things were even a thing. Like, and and it's crazy because in college, I actually ran a nonprofit um, to stop human trafficking. So I knew that that stuff went on, but I never in my wildest dreams like thought my husband was, you know, going to those places, going to those places ever. I think we have this image of the people who do that are like just terrible people. Like, <laughs> right, you, know, like right. you could point them out on the street. You're like, oh, they for sure, you know, go to strip clubs or they for sure go to, you know, massage parlors. But never once did I ever think that my husband was because he played the part so well. He played the husband role so well that when it all came out, I was just mind blown. And I was shocked and I was angry and I was confused and um, I was just left feeling so isolated, so alone. And um, just really, I felt like my whole world crashing down on me because I, I thought I knew who my husband was. And when that, when that all came out, I questioned everything. I questioned our marriage. I questioned our relationship. I questioned who he was, if our vows were real, because he did such a great job at being a completely different person. So I questioned everything. I didn't even know what was going on anymore. Yeah, that would have been rough. And it's so common to to have this stereotype of the guys that go to, to prostitutes. But we also have a, a stereotype of prostitutes and what they are. And they're just you know, women in eight inch heels that are on drugs that are walking on the street, but they're not. Yeah. There, there's so yeah. many more options and, and ways that guys can um, feed into that industry of, of prostitution. So Charity, what, can you describe the moment? Like, how did you find out? Uh, I think I think you found out he didn't confess. I think that that was what happened. And just like, what was the emotion? And you kind of touched on that, but like, how did yeah. you start to process that? So we call it D-Day, so Discovery Day. Uh, unfortunately, I had two D-Days, but D-Day number one, he was asleep and I was getting ready for work and his phone went off. Um, I checked it and it was a, a Twitter account popped up and it had his name on it and all of a sudden just tons of images flooded with porn. And I was like, first of all, he's not a techie guy that I thought. So when I saw that he had a Twitter account, I'm like, no way. Like he doesn't even know how to do Twitter. I was so naive. I was like, what? He doesn't even talk about social media. He hates social media. I'm the one on all the different social media platforms. The fact that he had this account, I was like, no way. So I grabbed his phone and and then I grabbed a pillow and he's lucky it was a pillow and not like a pan or something else. Cast iron pan. <laughs> I went into his room and I started wailing him with it. And I was just like, dude, what is this? Like, who is this? Is it like, what's going on? And um, he just started bawling. I mean, just like bawling. Couldn't deny it. Yeah. You can't, you're like, can't run from that. You're like, yeah, I'm struggling. But then I had to go to work. So I I went to work and, um, but then I went into investigator mode. I was like, okay, well, if he's doing this, he's probably doing a lot of other things. So I went into investigator mode, detective mode, and we had joint email accounts. So I went on my email and um, he had, he was working already with like a, um, a program accountability for accountability. Partner that and, I was opening up with about like stuff that I was struggling with. So I went on the email and um, and I started reading and I saw all of these things about strip clubs, massage parlors. And that's when I was, I was like so sick to my stomach and I believed everything because it was him, him writing it. And I came back home and I said, hey, what's going on? Like, I want a divorce. I went out. I'm not going to stand for this. And the hard part about that is because he, he was so willing to get help. So we started, we talked to two different people. And unfortunately, the advice that we had gotten was more damaging than not. And um, the male had said to me, Charity, um, 
have sex with him more and, you know, whenever he wants it, do it and make it more fun and, you know, exotic. And this is coming from a pastor and he's sharing this advice with me. And I'm like, okay, well, this is coming from a pastor. We've never talked about this before. I trust you. I trust what you're saying. And then he (sighs) told Clint like, Hey, you need to, you need to memorize more scripture and you need to really let the word become life for you. And so he, every morning would, you know, go outside and have his note cards and he'd be reading all of his verses. And then we'd be having sex all the time. And lo and behold, it made things worse. And then we just both dived into deeper shame. And I was like, okay, well, something's really messed up with us. Thanks for sharing that guys. And you know, so many people that go through that D-Day moment, it's, it's a big moment, but for you guys as a couple working through this, um, hearing good advice, bad advice, how did you come to be on the same page? Yeah. I think the thing that we both knew is that we didn't really want to get divorced. Charity wanted to get divorced if I didn't change. Mm-hmm. And so when she saw there, again, there were two D-, D days and we didn't want to get into all that. But the second, after the first D day, she saw me doing everything the pastor recommended. Right. And she started doing everything that he recommended. Now, did it work? No, absolutely not. It was horrible advice, literally horrible advice because it put shame on charity. And it told me that I need to intellectually change in order to beat an addiction that I had been, had pretty much my whole life. But I think there was that belief that she saw me applying what I was told to do. So after we had a second discovery day, two years later, and she realized pornography was still there, strip clubs were still there, massage cars were still there. It was the final straw is if we don't get help, I'm going to leave. But we also were willing to do whatever it took to get help. And so how we got on the same page was really her seeing my willingness to open up, to get Life360 apps, to build accountability, to go to a 12-step. It was the first time ever I was told there's 12-step groups for sexual addicts. I didn't even know that term existed, a sexual addict essay. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard that term before. So it was the first time I'd ever gone to a group and heard of other men's stories that had the same stories as me. And she, and so when I started telling her, wow, I'm going to this group, I'm going to work this program. I have a sponsor. I have these things. I believe that was what she saw that enabled her to endure the season. Cause it is a season. It's a journey even of finding recovery, of finding freedom and transformation from being an addict my whole life. Yeah. So Charity, on the wife's side, you have to process that, but you also have to live in the same house with the man who has hurt you, who's lied to you. Now you're seeing him change. You're kind of wondering, like, did I know this guy? But now he's changing. Like, do I do I know him now? Like, so for you, you have to process your own healing, your own health, but you also have to learn how to to coexist with him. What was that journey for you? Yeah, you know, it was really difficult. And because I be- we both believed that once he gets sober, once he gets um ha- developing and having freedom, then our intimacy and we're going to be fine. I really believed that um, we fix him and we fix his problem, then our marriage is going to be great. And so that's why I was just like, you do everything that you need to do. If you need to do programs, you know, whatever, get plugged into as many things as you need to. But the more I realized, the more that he continued to do that, it wasn't fixing our relationship. And, um, and I realized like, wow, you know, there's a lot of pain there that I didn't even know was there. And, um, until my body started screaming out like charity, you need to get help too. This has affected you. You need a support system around you, you know? And I was in denial. I was in denial that what he had done had affected me. And, um, and, and, and being able to accept that it was okay, that it had hurt me. Mm. Um, and that was a big thing. And so I finally was like, 
no, you know, this has hurt me. And, and it may seem silly to some people because I think our world has done such a great job at justifying um, that porn is what men look at. And, you know, and um, men are horny. And so, you know, just let them do their thing. And so, because every person that I had talked to was like, oh yeah, just that's a, you know, a guy thing that guys struggle with. And so I felt guilty that it was affecting me. I felt guilty that it was hurting me because no other woman was saying like, yeah, like I don't like it, you know, and, and they weren't putting their foot down. They were just accepting it and maybe saying, yeah, it's okay. So for me, it really, I had to come to a place where it was, I had to accept that it was hurting me and that it was, that it was affecting me. And once I had realized that, then I was able um, to start going to my own programs and seeing a therapist and working on um, my, how much it had affected me and how I had trauma and how I had, um, developed triggers and what do I do with anxiety and, and how do I live this, live with this man, you know, and how do we parent our kids and live under the same roof? And now we're both hurting, you know, how do we even coexist under the same house? And so, um, it really took a lot of patience, a lot of grace and, um, and a lot of individual work in order for us to come together. Mm. And I know we've, one of the things that I've always um, talked about in this regard, and I think like me and Matt have said this too, is that, you know, when porn's in your marriage, it's not one person's issue, it's our issue, right? Yeah. And that was the same thing that you guys are discussing right now. So as you're both going and moving forward in, in your healing journey at this point, what were the boundaries that you had to set around your marriage so that you both are in agreement about your healing and you both have some understanding, a level of like, hey, this isn't going to fly. Um, what, what did that look like for you guys? Such a great question. And I wish these are like the, the things that I wish we would have known, you know, rather than us just trial and error. It. Um, because there was an expectation for me, at least in the beginning, uh, believing that, okay, now that you've admitted all this, okay, you're going to start pursuing me, right? Like now you are, um, gonna, you know, send me flowers every day. You're going to cook dinner for me. You're going to finally treat me like the princess that I am for staying with you. And kiss my feet. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't realize that we were actually both in this is, um, this is like, this isn't real what I'm sharing with you, but metaphorically, this is where we were both at. We were both in the hospital and just had major surgery. And it looked like six months until we were going to probably even like be able to lift our arm. And you can't expect your husband or significant other And, you know, when you're laying in um, a hospital bed, looking over at them and saying, hey, I know you just had surgery, but you're going to take me out to dinner tomorrow. Right. And we're going to go on a trip. Right. And you're going to get flowers like mentally they're not there and physically they're not there. And that was hard for me to accept. Um, but it was really good for me to understand because it helped us understand the healthy, proper expectations that both of us needed to have to realize where we were at, um, and to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like boundary wise. So what Sherry's talking about, like the expectations we have for one another, which I think are and so important to have proper expectations because like most guys that open up about a pornography issue and the wife says, okay, well, I'm not going to divorce you. There's expectations on both ends. And so a lot of the work that we do um, one-on-one with couples is, hey, let's set proper expectations because Mm -hmm. otherwise you have an expectation that's not communicated and it's an assumption and that's going to be bad. That's going to fail really fast and it's going to really hurt you and damage the relationship. The boundaries that we created for safety, for charity, I'll take that spin on the question of what boundaries were created a safety 
uh, area for her were were really that we said, okay, there needs to be accountability for me. I need to be in uh, some kind of a therapeutic work to find out what what caused porn addiction to be so strong in my life. I needed to dig up the past to figure out where the roots of it were. Um, I needed to be in a relationship with men that were going to call me out on the real things. And so having real accountability, not just, hey, I struggled. Yeah, we'll pray for you. But like, yo, why did you struggle? Why did you have your computer? Why was it unlocked? You know, why did that happen? How can we help you next time prevent that from getting there where you're acting out? And so the boundary line, you want to hear boundaries? No pornography ever. <laughs> it's not like, okay, if you struggle once in a while, it's fine. Like boundary line, nope, there's no room for pornography. In fact, we're going to go a step further and say, you know, let's make the boundary line an inappropriate material. That if you ever look up inappropriate material, which means us, if I ever go on YouTube and look up inappropriate um, dance choreography, if I ever go on a Netflix show and I watch and it has nudity in it, but and I know that, that's things that I need to confess to my wife and confess. Those are not okay. It's not okay to be listening to music that's going to talk about, you know, the promiscuity things or all these kinds of areas. So the boundary line is absolutely no form of sex that's inappropriate in, in our relationship. And so, and that's pretty gnarly. I, most people be like, whoa, that's too much for me. But that keeps my wife in a safe place. And that actually builds our intimacy. And that has been a struggle for me. I'm not saying I've walked a perfect line in that area. There have been times where I'm like, hey, I need to admit something to you. And it's not something I'm proud of. Right when I was shopping online, I clicked on the lingerie thing, and images popped up, and and I I got off it really quick, but I definitely went there and I clicked it off in a matter of seconds. But I need to open up to you and tell you that kind of stuff. And those are not easy things for charity to hear. But we also have a, a boundary line that says within 24 hours, if I pursue anything like that, I'm going to tell her. That way, she knows. Okay, well, if he does something, he's going to tell me in that 24 hour period, and that creates a boundary of safety. So if, if something hasn't happened for a few days. She knows I'm telling the truth because it hasn't, I haven't opened up about it. Does that make sense? So we, there's a, I could go on and on for hours about that, but there's a lot of those boundaries that we drew knowing that, okay, if I'm ever going to travel, it's with a person and it's going to stay in my room. I'll call ahead and ask them to remove the TV from the area. There's, there's all kinds of things like that that are in our relationship today that keep us safe in that regard. And also are just a way that we don't, we don't have to go there. We don't have to, I'd rather, I'd rather talk about, Hey, here are the, all the what ifs that could happen versus, Hey, the apology, right? The whole and thing it, of forgiveness versus permission is not true. Better, better to counteract that. So there's no need for asking for forgiveness later on. And it's him saying, yes, it's not being defensive about it because when you're defensive, then it, it, it totally just eliminates everything that you're trying to do. See everything that Clem was just talking about he is building, he is rebuilding intimacy with me because intimacy is into me. You see, there are no more secrets. There is nothing hidden. You know everything about me, everything that I'm doing. And it's not in a rules way. It's not that I'm being overbearing. It's that our intimacy was broken. Uh, my safety, you know, th there was no more safety, you know. And so for me, we had to learn tools that we could implement to rebuild our intimacy and bridge the gaps so that I could feel safe again so that, that we both could learn how to work together again. Yeah. So Charity, I'm assuming that now if Clinton were to confess something to you or in the last few months or whatever it's been, I'm assuming that you don't grab a pillow and beat him over the head every time. <laughs> and so how has your response changed from that first time to now that, where you can create a safe atmosphere to make Clinton feel comfortable and confident that he can come to you and not get beat over the head? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's good. You know, I think it's because we put 
boundaries in place that we both know what we need to do individually when something like that happens. So for me, my security is already for, on a firm foundation because I know if he's working the program and doing the steps that he needs for freedom, then I'm not really going to question much. You know, he normally will already come to me. He'll, he will already say like, Hey, you know, I've already talked to X, Y, and Z. I've already, you know, I have new things, you know, up or whatever the case may be, but he's not coming to me. And it's a week later, you know, and multiple things had already happened in that time frame, and, and he now has come to me because we both have accountability. We both have a support network. We both um, have game plans for in, us individually that we both know. Um, I'm not going to question, you know, what he's going to do next because he's already rebuilt trust in our relationship. Where I, I trust what he's saying. You know, I believe um, that what he's going to do. Um, he's going to do because he's he's been doing it. And so for me, when he comes to me, it's no longer like, well, I don't believe you. And what are you going to do next? And have you already talked to somebody? And I was there. So don't get me wrong. Like I was there. I was at a place where then I would, my anxiety would go through the roof and I, I would just question everything again. And I'd be really mad at him. But we now have implemented game plans both individually. And I have a game plan too. You know, if something triggers me or if he has something like that, and he wants to can you know confess or talk to me about it well then i have my own thing that i do to to make sure that i'm still grounded and that i don't go back into the crazy cycle of you know detective mode and and what questioning our marriage questioning our relationship questioning who he is like i know who he is i know who god's created him i know where he's going and so how i get back to that i have my own game plan it's the analogy of having tools in your tool belt cuz it's it's inevitable that triggers are going to happen. And so it's, do you have a tool ready for when that happens? You know, do you have a tool ready for when your husband comes to you? And I remember reading this book and it said, um, be prepared for a relapse. Relapse doesn't have to happen, but if it does, are you prepared? And I remember reading that and I literally was like, no, like, I'm not going to speak that out. Like, I don't believe in that. I don't believe my husband has to have a relapse. But then I just felt this still quiet voice says, but just be prepared. You know, like, why wouldn't you want to be prepared? And so, and then it happened. And so then like the next week, you know, it, was, it was this, it was the exact same night. The so same praise night. God, wow. because, um, yeah, it was a crazy, I felt like it was totally the Lord. And, um, and so I put together a game plan and, you know, it was for me individually. It wasn't for Clinton. It was for me, you know, um, I had multiple steps that were just going to bring me back to safety. Um, because I knew that if he were to tell me something like that, my whole world feels shocked and it's, it's kind of, I mean, I was experiencing, um, post-traumatic stress. And so I, I didn't know how to get myself back to normal and to be the wife and the mom that my kids and my husband needed. And so I put together a game plan individually for me so that if he were to tell me I would have people that I could run to, I would go do some self-care and, um, and I would do things that I knew would bring me back to planet earth so that I could think clearly and act clearly. Right. Wow. So you, you broke down so much of what it was to kind of restore trust and rebuild trust. Now there's another component too, right? And you talked about it, rebuilding intimacy. And we don't just mean on a sexual level. We mean intimacy so much more than that, right? 
So for you as a couple, how did you do that? Yeah, we like to talk about there's like between 12 to 14 different levels of intimacy. John Bradshaw was one of the first people that talked about this. And it's true, like sobriety doesn't equal intimacy. If we could ever create a logo that says sobriety and have the equal sign and a line through it does not equal intimacy because people think that, right? That charity thought is normal. Once this is out of our life, once Clinton's not looking at pornography, he's going to pursue me and, and be ex- all excited. But people don't realize that, yeah, and to what you said, Brad, and it's sexual intimacy is just one of the intimacies. There's a physical intimacy outside of sexual touch. There's emotional intimacy. There's intellectual intimacy, spiritual intimacy, all these different levels of intimacy that we that we have to create in a relationship. And although there are um, and there are incredible books about these kinds of things that I, I won't name right now, but there's so many that are all about this. It's a different water to navigate when you've just come through infidelity or pornography use. Yes. And it's and so like you would never take a, you know, a sailboat out in the middle of the ocean if it was only made for like, you know, lake lake sailing, you know, things like that. You have to navigate it differently. And so rebuilding intimacy is a is a is a process. If I, if I was in Canada, I'd just call it a process. California's a process. Uh, right. But it's a process. And so it's understanding those things and navigating that going, okay, how much is too much and how can I slowly build up to it? And so intimacy and trust are almost built simultaneously where boundaries create trust, but actions of intimacy create intimacy. So it's a whole mindset there, but it was a slow process and it was really understanding what does charity uh, want? What does she need in this time? And it's really going, okay, instead of just worrying about me, because freedom from pornography is very isocentric. It's very much like, what do I have to do? How do I have to get free? What do I need to be safe? How do I need to sponsor? But intimacy is like, okay, what can I do for us? What can I do for the relationship? And they're two completely different areas of focus. They can happen simultaneously. And that's what we talk about a lot is how to use the restoration process to build intimacy. But they are different areas of focus and different efforts, uh, different energies poured into those things. It's great stuff. I love it, guys. And for you listening, you can't see them, but we can see these guys on video and they're flirting and they're smiling at each other and they weren't always there, but they've they've done the work and they're they're in love and they're um, they're growing. So it's cool to see you guys, just the, the fruit. And obviously there's still a process or a process or whatever you want to say from where you're from, but uh, but you guys are on the right path and you're doing a great thing. So restore to more for those couples out there, they're, they're maybe today where you guys were and they want to get to where you guys are and where you're going. How can they find restore to more and what do you have to offer? The website is restored to the number two more.com. And you can kind of find out everything we do on our website, restored to more.com. We also, a lot of our resources are free. So we have a podcast that's also called restored to more. We have a YouTube channel also called restored to more. Our podcasts are geared towards training. So they're a little bit longer, but they're more for training people on how to navigate these waters. Um, the YouTube channel is three to five minutes of just like golden nuggets and some wisdom we've kind of compressed into a small video. We, we are really excited about the new workshops that we are doing for 2021 that we'll be announcing and uh, projecting soon. So that'll be exciting. We're working on our first book, which is we're pumped about. What we offer right now that is a paid resource is coaching. So we do couple to couple coaching on how to have, if someone's already getting traction and they want to learn how to build intimacy, we do one a couple to couple coaching. If, if they're in that stage of just crisis and they're freaking out we offer one-on-one coaching so charity coaches women i coach the guys and uh, and we we incorporate couples in there as well so all those things can be found did i miss out did i forget anything okay and we'd love to hear from people so man reach out to us on the contact page and if we can't help you we will definitely refer you to somewhere else that we we, we'd love to 
just get you plugged into some help for sure. Plug into the, the, these guys, um, all the listeners out there, please do. And if you're a couple that you just don't know how to pick up the pieces, um, wherever you're at, we want to encourage you. There is hope out there. Uh, plugging into Clinton and Charity, for instance, that's a great resource for you. Great support. And we would encourage you to do so. So Restore to More, please check it out. Thank you guys so much for being on this. We have just loved chatting with you, hearing your story and what God's doing in your life. We really appreciate this. So thank you so much. Yeah, Matt, Brad, thank you so much for having us. It's pleasure has been all ours and we're looking forward to working with you guys more. And we're so pumped because we know that you guys are adding tons of value to all of your listeners. So keep up the great work, guys. You're kicking butt. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.